Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. I'm so excited to share this next interview with you because it's all about women speaking up, sharing their voice, finding their voice, and these topics that I could talk about forever. I'm super passionate about them. But before we get started, before we dive in, I wanted to take a minute and say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. I've had such positive feedback and just love, love the podcast. And when I hear from my listeners that they're getting something out of it, that there's tangible takeaways, that they're taking action to better themselves based on what we're talking about in these conversation, it just fills me up. And I, I am genuinely appreciative of all the support. I'm so lit up about doing this podcast. I get really excited every week when it comes out. I get so excited for interviewing my guests each week. It's just, it's been awesome. I'm going to be honest. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support. And if you're someone who wants to continue to support my growth, I invite you to leave an honest review in the podcast review section, or even better, if you have one friend who might appreciate the messages in this episode, or you have a favorite episode that you feel comfortable, share it with one person. I really am here to serve. So if there's something that resonated with you, I bet there's someone else it might resonate with too. In that same vein of being here to serve, if you have a topic you're burning to know more about or an amazing woman you think would be a perfect fit for the show, direct message me on Instagram. You can find me at, at @whitneywoman. Let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Now on to our show. So today I'm connecting with Simone de Haas. She's an award-winning theater producer, director, and actor. She has more than 30 years in the field. And what she does today in her work is she pulls from this super extensive background in entertainment. And she's launched this experience into public speaking, coaching, and mentoring leaders around the globe. And she takes this unique background, this blend of artistry and presence and fun, to be honest, just this theatrical fun that she just exudes. And she uses it to help other people find their voices and speak effectively. She has so much to share. So let's just jump in. Simone, I am so happy to have you. And I know that you had quite the illustrious theater career that you left behind, but I feel like it's really informed so many pieces of the important work you're doing today. So maybe we can just start out by grounding my listeners in what your previous career was and kind of how you jumped into what you're doing today. That's a great starting point. Thank you, Whitney. The background, as you say, has been in theatre and it was something that I discovered fairly early on, like through my schooling, through my education, I became aware of this whole thing called music theatre. And we certainly here in Australia didn't have the same 
level of exposure to it as you have had in the States and particularly New York, which is my favorite city. <laughs> and over years, I developed different skills that allowed me to work in that field. So I learned singing and dancing and went to our local conservatory, uh, music conservatory, and studied. And over time, I was exposed to different directors and each one of them, every experience every show that I was involved with and principally community theatre to start you know where you learn the ropes and did a little bit of study on the side but along the way I began to develop this real interest in directing and it was something that I just discovered that I could pull the stories out of people now it took me a while I suppose in the benefit of hindsight to realize that that was what I was doing and of course, the role of a director, that's a great, it requires a great deal of leadership. And so I learned a lot about leadership and about how to lead teams and how to work with difficult and challenging personalities, as well as the really fabulous talent, you know, that you have access to when you're doing a musical. And, and over time, so then my husband and I decided we would actually start our own theatre company and we ran that as an independent theatre company here in Brisbane where we live for 25 years and that was principally plays and dramas with the odd boutique musical so all of that the different ways that I would interact with the world of theatre and the different experiences gave me an uh, I suppose a really broad but also deep range of leadership skills skills on about how to find your voice, how to share your story in a way that creates really deep connection with your audience, how to create an experience for people. So there was like customer experience in there as well. So it gave me a really broad corporate experience without being the world of corporate. And so over time, because theatre, particularly here in Australia, doesn't pay well and there aren't many opportunities. So over time, I would have one foot in the world of theatre and one foot in the world of corporate. And I would basically dip backwards and forwards. So I've always had essentially, I suppose you would call it a portfolio career. And I would follow the energy of, okay, I really feel like I want to do this production. Or somebody would ask me, would I come and direct something like Phantom of the Opera? And it was like, of course, why would I not do that? And so each one of those experiences taught me something else um, and taught me a heck of a lot about myself, both as a person and as a leader. So ultimately, then I took those lessons from the stage into the boardroom and that's what I continue to do now in various shapes and forms. That's so interesting and it doesn't shock me that somebody with this multi-passionate background in theater and arts and literal performance and being on stage would be able to have so many lessons to share with other people in different arenas who want to communicate and speak effectively. So that makes a lot of sense to me. That's natural. I know that a lot of women you encounter and work with now manage to almost naturally, without thinking, undermine their authority when they speak or when they present in groups. And I'm curious how, what's a starting point for recognizing if you're doing that, if you might be someone who's doing that. 
Uh, tone of voice is actually really important, and that is certainly something that you can monitor, and it's certainly something that you can change. I find many women, in my experience, and many of the women that I've, I've uh, worked with and coached, have a unnaturally high speaking voice. And the interesting thing with the, the human ear, when we hear that a certain pitch, it actually is difficult to listen to for any length of time. So I always encourage women to really settle into their natural voice. The voice that they have is their natural voice is often a tone or two. If you think of like in music scale, it's a tone or two lower than their projected speaking voice. And so I encourage women to really just listen to their pitch of their voice and, if possible, to just bring it down a tiny little bit to make it easier for people to hear. And one of the ways that you can do that, if you actually say the word, aha. 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 And it just allows the voice to like sink into the body a little bit. So you often get women who'll speak at a fairly fast pace, which is one of the other issues. I'm demonstrating on the audio so you can hear it. And they'll speak at a fairly fast pace and the pitch is a little bit higher. And it can be quite, after a little while, it can be quite tiring. If you think about slowing down just a little, dropping the voice just a little, it settles into this beautiful, calm kind of stillness that gives you a greater sense of authority and helps you feel a heck of a lot more confident as well. So just dropping into that natural voice rather than projected a higher pitch, dropping back and aha is the little trick that you can use to just listen for where your natural voice wants to live. I love that because it's just an easy reset or if you know you're going to present or get on a call or talk, aha, can connect with that. Yes, Thank you for it's, sharing. And it's really simple. It's simple, really simple and actionable. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other things that I find with women when they're speaking is they often apologize. Before they any information has come out of their mouths, they apologize. And I've, I see men do it as well, but women tend to that behavior more often. So they might get up to do a presentation and the first thing they say is, oh, I'm sorry, this is going to take a little longer than I thought. So they start off on the back foot. So they've already undermined their authority before they've even spoken. So monitoring that as well, being really careful and being really aware of when you're apologizing for absolute no need. And we do it when we're talking to friends. We do it when we're talking to partners. We have this kind of need to apologize for living. And we've just got to get, we've got to stop this. And I, I hear it myself. I do it every now and then and I catch myself and think, why am I apologizing? There's no need to apologize. But essentially it's a mechanism that helps, we feel that it helps us look less challenging, that it helps us to be less of, just less of, less than, so that, you know, we, we're not willing to be our full selves. It's almost like we take a energetic step backwards when we apologize so that people aren't threatened by us. So if you have a, if you're doing a presentation so that oh, if you apologize first, you not only undermine your authority, 
but you also then appear less threatening. And, you know, that's a really interesting aspect of women speaking up is that so often there's this misconception that when a woman speaks up that she is a threat and that it's just not it's just not true and we've just got to get over that and the idea that we can speak with full authority that we can hold our ground that we can be centered and grounded and really connected to our message whether it's in a corporate presentation whether you're doing a sales pitch whether you're talking to a customer it's really important to recognize some of these little patterns that undermine your potential to communicate well that makes a lot of sense i i mean i i feel like it could discredit you. Like, I apologize that I'm taking up space almost in a way, right? Exactly. Exactly that. And you mentioned, you know, women speaking out and part of it is how they say it. But back to, you know, women sharing their voices, another piece of that, maybe not when they're anticipating speaking, but maybe in more group forums, some women, I've noticed it in meetings with groups, you can almost see an idea come across a woman's face. And then they just lose it and they don't share. What advice do you have for women that kind of get stuck in fear of taking up that space of sharing their voice? How can they get over that feeling of vulnerability? Uh, That's a great question. And what I have found over time is that it's not that their ideas aren't good. It's that generally women fear being judged for speaking up, for opening their mouths, taking up space, creating room for their ideas and their presence to to be seen and heard. And so that piece around judgment, we all have over time, you know, there have been opportunities, I suppose there have been uh, circumstances where we have spoken up and maybe it wasn't received well. So what we've done, we've linked that bad experience with, oh, my ideas are no good. So we've got this kind of trigger that happens and when we have the opportunity to speak up, suddenly the emotional trigger is, oh, but last time I did that, it didn't go particularly well. And it could simply be that you you weren't prepared. So often, you know, we go to speak up in a meeting and we realise that we haven't really thought things through or we haven't prepared. But if it's a brainstorming session, if it's like, who's got ideas about this? Women are reluctant to speak up because they they don't feel that maybe their ideas are worthy of the air, worthy of breath. And that comes down to self-judgment as much as it is because it it is, first and foremost, about our judging of ourselves. But we link it to thinking that it's other people who are judging us when we ourselves are our worst judge. So, again, having awareness about those patterns, having awareness about things that might trigger us into that judgment is really essential in order to become better at communicating and finding our voice. So if you have an idea in a meeting, I have a little technique that I call the spotlight technique that your listeners might find valuable. And the idea is that if you know that you want to speak up or if you're doing a presentation, for instance, and you know your time is coming to get up and speak, there's a couple of little things that you can do. Spotlight technique is to visualize having a a big lamp right beside you, like a big, big old theater light (laughs) standing right beside you. When we stand up to speak, we suddenly take up more room. 
Okay, we even if you're sitting down to speak, that inhale of breath before you take your, your say your first words, you suddenly take up more room. Okay, and it's about being comfortable with taking up more room. So the first step is to allow yourself to breathe and take up that space. Visualize you have a spotlight right next to you, but the thing is the spotlight's not on you. The spotlight is on your audience. So visualize turning the spotlight off yourself. So instead of thinking everyone's looking at me, oh my goodness, I'm going to forget what I want to say or whatever that brain chatter might be, if you turn the spotlight on your audience, suddenly you are in service to the message. It's not about you, it's about your message. And so when we feel ourselves step into that phase of, oh my goodness, um, are they going to judge me for my idea? That's about ego. Even if we think, oh, I'm not egotistical, it's not about that. But it is, it's your ego wanting to keep you safe. Whereas if we think, okay, this is about me being of service to my message and to the group and sharing my ideas. So using the idea of the spotlight to light up your audience allows you to see your audience with more clarity. You can see if people are listening and you can actually separate out the ego and instead be in your full presence and speak from the heart, be authentic in the way that you share because you are in service to the message. That's a beautiful practice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And speaking of audience and preparation and all of this, it's, it's also just a, a clear through line to me that storytelling is in your DNA because of theater, right? And exactly. Uh, yeah. And every every woman, whether she's speaking to the boardroom, she's speaking to the PTA, or she's just giving a speech at her daughter's wedding, who knows? Every woman is going to have a time where they do speak in public. And I'm not talking more of the raising your hand uh, spontaneously in a group. I'm more talking about preparing to actually speak in public. And it's well known that this is a fear that's more common than death. I'm sure you're well aware. How can women set themselves up for success from a storytelling perspective when they have time to anticipate and know they're going to be speaking in public? I love that. Storytelling is, yes, absolutely part of my DNA, but it is actually part of all of our DNA. You know, we all grew up on stories and they will be as many and varied as there are people in the world. But our cultures are built on stories. Our ancient, our, the tribes and our elders all brought stories with them. So stories are not something new. But when you're preparing to tell a story, one of the things that a lot of people struggle with, they think, well, I know I've got this great story to tell, or as you say, it might be for as part of a presentation. I know I've got this great story to tell, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to shape it. And that's where most people stumble. They don't have an idea of its shape. So let's think about every story having a beginning, a middle, and an end. So essentially, it creates a container. For, that's the container for your story. You start with where you were at the beginning. So was there a particular challenge? What's, give the audience a bit of background about how you got to that particular point. Then at the end of the story, you want to show them what has changed. But it's the meaty piece in the middle. That's the most exciting for an audience. 
that's where you talk about the challenges that you overcame. Like how did each one of those change things for you? And by the end, you've shown the audience essentially your journey through that. Now, there can be many different ways to play with stories, and it depends entirely on the purpose of the story. So if you're doing a corporate presentation, for instance, you might shape it in a slightly different way, but it still has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But what you might do is change the way you begin the story. So if you are trying to get, say you're trying to get your team on board for this new project, so you might start with something a little bit unexpected because that gets people out of their, oh, yeah, I've heard all of this before, and you suddenly drop them into something that they're unfamiliar with. So you use a sense of intrigue, and I love this for storytelling. You use something that's a little bit intriguing. Maybe you give them a statistic. For instance, I interviewed a woman here in my hometown recently who is the founder of an organization, a charity called the Carers Foundation. And the opening quote from her for this that she shared was, did you know that children as young as eight are full-time carers for their parents? Straight away, the audience is, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. So they're straight away into, you can see them physically leaning forward. They want to find out, how is this possible? They want to find out more about the story. So sharing a statistic, sharing something that's unexpected, something that the audience don't know is coming, is a great way to start. And it, no matter what kind of story you're telling, there will be something that you can find that's in, that relates to your particular story that would help you move through that. So you might talk about that and then you might talk about the challenges. So with a young child of eight who's caring full time for parents, how do they manage school? How do they manage their education? How do they manage a household when they themselves are so young? So you then pose questions. And as you do all of this, you're unfolding part of the story piece by piece. So essentially, you know, storytelling is just like Hansel and Gretel. You leave breadcrumbs for your audience to follow. And each breadcrumb gives them a little bit more information. It might be a breadcrumb about a particular challenge you overcame, but then you discovered, yes, we overcame that, but then this happened. And so you, you take the audience on an upward trajectory to the climax, and then you explain how you resolved the big problem, and then you give them the resolution. This is what we did. This is how we overcame that particular issue, and this is what the end result was. I love the intrigue and the grabbing of attention in the beginning, because if people are in the edge of your seat, that's a great start. If people are snoozing before you get to your your why, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you're in trouble. So I also feel like there's so much talk these days about finding your voice. And I know from the people that I like to listen to the most, there's a certain authenticity that just resonates. That's just palpable. And I think some people get into trouble when they try to put on a different vest when they go to speak in public and it just something feels off. So how do you think that women especially can do a good job of cultivating and bringing in their own voice and their authenticity, but still share in a way that 
uh, is interesting to others? Yes, uh, that's a great question. And when I work with, when I coach speakers, this is something that comes up a lot because, you know, initially we kind of think of particularly public speaking, if you're a professional speaker, we think of that almost as, oh, well, I'm putting on a persona. And funnily enough, I was having a conversation around this just yesterday that, yes, there is an element of persona that you need to embrace, but that persona is yourself amplified. It isn't yourself diminished. It isn't yourself with a mask. It is yourself, your full presence, what I call 360-degree presence, amplified so that when you're on that stage, people can really see you. However, when you're telling stories, you also then want to bring characters on stage with you. Maybe maybe you're telling a story. I have a friend who tells a wonderful story about her grandmother and a rug she made. And so when we're working on her speech, we were looking at how do you embody the character of the grandmother? It doesn't mean you have to go full-blown into acting her out, but you might share a nuance about the character. What is you know, about that person who's really been significant in your life. What was something, what's the energy of that person? And you want to bring that in as well. So they kind of come on the stage with you. So then you've not only like really stepped up your own presence, but you're bringing the energy of these other characters onto the stage with you, which helps kind of enhance and lift up your own energy as well. But really the core of this and the core of finding your voice is actually recognizing how your lived experience has contributed to your voice. So every experience we have, everything that we've lived through finds its expression in our physical voice. You know, you know yourself, you had a late night or really early morning, your voice might be a little croaky. So... (laughs) The voice is such an expression of our lived experience. If we hate speaking in public, our voice is going to demonstrate that by sounding a bit thin, maybe a bit breathy because we're hyperventilating because of our nerves. Our voice is going to be a physical expression of our emotion. And also for women, if you're going through, if you're sharing a story that has a significant emotional impact, that can be quite challenging to share on the stage. And a lot of women will step back from that because the emotion feels too overwhelming. And I do always encourage the people that I work with to really think through any story that they want to share on stage because if they haven't worked through the story itself, if they haven't worked through the emotion, that's going to show in their voice. It's going to show in the way that they articulate their message. There are many different ways that we can approach the idea of finding our voice, but the very first place that we have to start, I feel, is to look through our stories. Look at what those stories have actually highlighted for us in our lives, the experience, what has that experience brought into our lives. So, for instance, I shared a bit about my theatre background. So every time I did any kind of production, I learnt something. The very first time I was asked to direct a show, I was terrified. I hadn't yet found my voice, my expression as a director, and being asked to direct something for the first time 
not really understanding all of the leadership skills. So, of course, the the way that I approached that was coming from a place of fear. It came from a place of not feeling like I had the skill set. But how was I going to get the skill set unless I actually took up the space and did the work? And finding your voice is rather like that. You've got to take up the space. You've got to step into your story. You've got to be willing to share the story in a way that not only resonates for your audience, but also teaches them something. So there's a a wonderful saying, you know, your message is in your mess. Tell me more about that. (laughs) (laughs) So your message is in your mess. What that means, and this is very uh, appropriate for finding your voice, is that when you look through the experiences, you know, whether it's been a relationship that's gone bad, whether it's a financial situation, maybe you've been bankrupt or maybe you've been unexpectedly homeless. There's a story in that that other people can learn from. I worked with a client who was bankrupted because of a financial deal that went wrong. And basically her partner took off with all the money. Her partner took off with all the money and she was left with all of the debt. And so ultimately the only way that she could get out of that was to declare bankruptcy. Now, as we were working, I was saying, well, did you not see this coming? And she said, do you think I would have seen this coming? I said, but on the surface and on paper, everything looked fine. It was actually her accountant who took off with the money. I said, so what, what were the things you think that contributed to this? She said, I trusted what I was told and didn't dig deeper. Even when my gut instinct was telling me to dig deeper, I didn't do it. So there was a clue for her. The message was in the mess. So as a speaker, she talks about diving deeper to absolutely that you need to know what is going on in your business. You need to have absolute clarity about what's going on in your business. And as we worked on this particular keynote together, we developed a talk which we called Blinkers and Blind Spots because it was all the blind spots in her business, all the places where she wasn't actually willing to look or where she had a blind spot or where she had the blinkers on, you know, like horses wear those blinders, blinkers when they're racing and so they can only look straight ahead. So she had no peripheral vision in her business. Mm -hmm. So what we unpacked was that, okay, in this mess called bankruptcy, what's the message for you then to share with your audience? And so now she speaks to groups of business people. She speaks to accountants. She speaks to people all around the city how to take off the blinkers, how to be aware of the blind spots in your business because of the mess that she went through and because of the what she'd learnt along the way and she learnt how then to deal with that and how to make sure that that was never going to be the case for her again. So through all of that, she found her voice through that mess. The experiences gave her the language because finding your voice is also about the language you use, which is connected to the types of stories that you have. And for each one of us, it will be very different. So, of course, my voice has that theatrical tone. So I tell a lot of theatre stories or 
I tell a lot of stories about uh, maybe creativity or stepping into the light, that kind of thing. So I have a particular language that goes with it as well. So when you find your voice, when you look at your stories and you look at what you've learnt through those, what's the common theme, what's the thread, the through line? You find the core message and you find your way to finding your voice. I really like how you put that with the messages in the mess, because some women too, I feel like have such a strong sense that they have something to share, but they're not even able to really crystallize and articulate what it is. They have the tap on the shoulder. And the way you put that makes me think about, you know, everyone's been through something no matter what. Right. And if you go back to a messy time that you've overcome, I'm sure there's lessons in there. So Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's important for women to to recognise that stories don't need to be significant. Often people think, oh, well, I can't share that. It's not really important. But it was still something that you've gone through and you've overcome. And someone somewhere can learn from that. That's a good point. I just, I had one final thing. I always close out. I'm a writer and a big journaler and I always try to encourage women to have deeper, more meaningful conversations. So I like to ask my guests, what's one question women should be asking themselves more? So I'd like to ask you, Simone, I feel like this is, you have so much to offer. What do you think women in your space should be asking themselves more? The first thing that's actually popped into my head is what lights me up? Because so often, And again, because we are speaking to a female audience, so often women will take on things, tasks, circumstances, take on other people's stuff, which doesn't light them up, uh, doesn't give them joy. So every morning, what would light me up today? And it's like, oh, you know, because it, it just, I don't know about you, but it feels like this little effervescent bubble suddenly rises up. And you think, oh, you know what? I could really do with X, Y, Z, whatever that might be. But what lights me up or what what would light me up to do today? I love that invitation and way to start the day. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation on so many levels. And I know a lot of women are going to want to learn more about you and your offerings. So tell us where we can find you, support you, learn more. Thank you so much, Whitney. It's been absolutely fabulous. And yes, I agree. We could probably talk for hours. (laughs) So you can find me on my website, which is www.simondehass.com. And also, I, I have an online portal if women are interested in different courses or different ways of connecting with me and different offerings, including free resources. I have thegreenroom.simondehass.com. So the green room is a bit of a nod to my theatre <laughs> theater world. So the green room, all one word, dot simondehouse.com. And you'll find some free um, courses there and also a online course called Finding Your Voice, where I teach women the power of storytelling. Wonderful. We can tell you have so much to share there and we'll make sure to capture all of that in the show notes as well. So 
everyone will be able to continue to learn from you. All right. Thank you so much. This was a delight. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Whitney, thank you so much for the invitation to join you. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at, at @whitneywoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.